Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. There was a thunderstorm this morning in Los Angeles. I'm going to say that. It was really weird. We looked at each other. We're drinking coffee and we're like, that sounds like a big dump truck coming our way because it's just so odd that you hear thunder and then we're like is it no it could never be it couldn't be thunder well also because there was a brush fire 20 miles away so the sky was a really odd color but then it started raining so the end is near guys ah I like to believe that the end is nigh, Brooke. The end is nigh, not near. Okay. It yeah, is upon us. Me. Yeah. I just, if we're really going to go there, I want to get, I want to use old timey language. You know what I mean? I don't want anything fucking, I don't want any new apocalypse slang or what the kids are using these days. I need, okay. I need old school things. Old school. You know? But would, would you be willing to accept cicadas for locusts? Oh, because that might also be a sign of what is upon us. But that's just science. The Brook Third, you just have to read the science. This is a seven year situation, you know, also. And we're not we'll do a, a, a fast, hard headline in the opener. They're making pizzas out of cicadas. Of course they are. I know, yeah. I know, but that was clearly. <laughs> I would. Ra- I'm going to go ahead and say it. I'd rather have a ham and pineapple pizza than that. Oh, damn! Eh. Sick pineapple pizza oh, burn. Well, you guys, welcome to Sidework Podcast. Uh, the pineapple pizza debate continues. I love it. I love it. I'm your host, Andrea Wallace. <laughs> I'm your host, Brooke Van Poplin. I would say just just eat a bowl of them fried up like a normal human. Okay, right? And yeah, today, like you know, you go to Oaxaca, you eat fried bugs. Like crickets. And joining us, actually, our guest today, uh, Mike Langley. Everybody is Hello. is joining us, and he was just in Oaxaca. Did you eat some bugs over in Oaxaca, Mike? Unintentionally, yes. There was, okay. there was some bug consumption. Uh, we're open to the possibility, but actually, uh, I don't know. I I, I I wanted some buy-in. I wanted a, co- uh, a cohort on the cicada consumption. Or the, it's not grasshoppers and stuff like that. I don't think we were eating cicadas down there just yet. They're crickets. Uh, they eat crickets. Yes. Crickets, and, thank you. Okay. Yeah, see, I don't even know and anything about worms. the place I just visited. Um, quick, other than it was lovely. I love it. Well, quick tip. If anyone's looking to sort of... Um, 
indoctrinate and get their uh, get their tongue all buggy. Uh, World Market Cost Plus in their little tiny food section, they sell yummy little like nacho flavored bags of crickets. And if you just want to go home and, you know, be brave and pop one in your mouth and be like, oh, that's actually kind of delicious. It tastes somewhere between popcorn and a corn nut and no big deal. That's what, you know, instead of like, I think familiarizing yourself, immersion therapy, so that when you go to Oaxaca, you're like, I fucking love crickets. Serve them on up, man. (laughs) I mean, they put like warm salt on everything because it's like Mezcal country, you know, so you're getting that already. Um, But like a a cicada is also like an ectoskeletal bug situation, too. So it's going to have the same mouthfeel, I I would imagine. I prefer crunch. Like I personally, I don't want to eat a snail. I've never had escargot. I'm not attracted to it. Love it. But it's not so much about like the the snail is good, but it's 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 about the fucking garlic and butter and cheese. It's Let's true. be honest. I like, know. Yes, it's I more think, a means of conveyance than the meat. Yeah, it's just event. like how you can make anything taste good if you cover it in that. I'm just and put it in a fancy dish, you know, and, and you guys, get a little fork, a little fork, guys, a little tiny fork for snails. And let's be real: if the end is nigh. You know, as Andrea said, and we're thank running. You, I, da- thank you. She did say that. And if we're running down our Earth's resources and meat is unsustainable, what has everyone said? The next source of protein that we're all looking to is bugs. So everyone, yeah. just get ready to have bug protein. Yeah, get ready to get your bugs sent back to the kitchen because they're not cooked right for people. <laughs> Anyways, I know. I was like, I ordered this bug. I I ordered them black and blue. And that's a specialty. Okay, anyway, sorry. Just step (laughs) one towards our Blade Runner inspired future. Oh, fuck yeah. (laughs) We have a lot to talk about today uh, with Mike. Mike's here to talk to us about hotels and working there so we're gonna do a quick hard top show and immediately just like jump into one server submitted story story actually there there's a server submitted story and a uh come a coming clean which is our new series uh, that we're doing on instagram so i'll do the story if you want to read the uh the confession I love it. Okay, great. All right. So this one, fresh off the, hot off the press, as they say. All right. Hey, yeah. I want to stay anonymous, but I use she, her pronouns. After your call for stories, I thought I'd write in about my not so graceful return to the food service industry. This may just turn into a long complaint. uh, So I apologize and understand (laughs) if you don't read this. Well, you're wrong. We're reading it. Pre-COVID, I had spent the previous decade working in various food service positions. I left in 2019 because I was just so tired of customers. I spent the last two years working in manufacturing and hated it even more. I actually missed customers. Oh, no. Okay. I was surprised at myself for feeling the urge to get back into the world of food and Bev. Well, welcome to it. I hear that. Okay. So about a month ago, I started working at a quote unquote high end juice bar in Manhattan. Oh, girl. (laughs) I've got war stories. Okay. And let me tell you. I was right. Customers suck. She's having such a back and forth about people. Okay. And also people in general kind of suck. I'm, yes. Okay. I'm like, what do you, you never go outside of your house? Jesus. Okay. In the last four weeks, I've seen some extremely worrisome things behind the bar. 
the juice bar. Blatant disregard for allergies, skipping ingredients that aren't stocked when it would take literally five extra seconds to restock said ingredient, and the general vibe of speed over quality, dirty drains, no proper ice bucket, and more. These customers are paying $10 to $15 for a 16-ounce drink, and they should get exactly what they ordered. I'm used to working in environments where quality is the most important aspect of the work. Speed is, of course, important, but quality comes first. I've mentioned the allergy concern to my manager and always correct it when I see it, but I haven't seen him do anything about it beyond giving one person a write-up warning. So after listening to your microbrewery episode, I feel called to the world of beer. I love beer and hard cider and want to learn more about it. However, I have hardly any bartending experience, which is I've barbacked and helped with beer wine service when filling in for absent catering bartenders. That's about the extent of it. And she says she's also worked as a barista for three non-consecutive years. Um, but she's zero brewing experience. Good news, you don't need it. I'm looking for advice on how to get into the world of beer brewing. While looking through job listings in New York City, it's a little intimidating. Do I just go for it and apply? Should I take bartending classes first? Any, any advice is welcome. Thanks for bearing with me and my complaints. I'm on the way to my fifth eight-hour shift of eight working days in a row. Just not feeling it today. Godspeed and good tips. We deserve them. So there's um, like, yeah. Never, never take bartending classes ever. <laughs> no. And to be quite honest, that is mixology. That is spirits. That is wine. It's going to have absolutely nothing to do with the world of learning how to become a brewer or cider maker. Think of it more like you're going to go to like culinary chemistry school instead. Yeah, absolutely. There's tons of science behind it. And like, I would say apply at a brewery and just be like, here's who I am. Here's what I want to learn. How do I do this? Like from what you're saying already is that like you you were very hardworking and I love that they were like, I, I hate people, but it's her coworkers that who are lazy and don't do the job right. And that's what it ended up being. So like, obviously this person is very efficient and wants to get shit done. And in my eyes, that's what brewers have to do. They have to be on top of their game. They have to be so fucking clean and precise and like yes. take their time. So I think that's great. And also just fucking Google it, man. Go like ingredients, well, yes. hops, like how they make different flavors, what kinds of beers, the history of beer, just teach yourself and then get out there in the world and like figure out how it's going, you know? Right. It sounds like she's already halfway there in the, in the sense that she's like, I love ciders and beer. And this is a mm -hmm. whole world that it just continues to explode. Even like the really good, interesting hard seltzers, like which aren't embarrassing. It's not white cloth summer anymore. There are really, <laughs> really good ones coming out. And I think in general, um, most of these places will also offer apprenticeship. Like you might end up starting out serving the beer to customers so that you know what every single one tastes like and know the glasses and are familiar with the brewery itself. And then I say, put it out there that you you want to be driving that fucking forklift around and hauling bags <laughs> of hops. Me, I always want to drive the forklift. Mike, you're in Seattle where there's beer everywhere, everywhere, I would assume. Beer and cider. Yeah, there is a huge microbrew scene here on, on both ends of the spectrum. And uh yeah, there's just a lot of opportunities to, uh, you know, there's a lot of these places that do all of their making in-house and also have some sort of like, you know, brew pub aspect where there is food service going on. And it might be light or simple, but it is a foot in the door to getting some firsthand exposure. 
Um, there's also the DIY option, right? I have quite a, you know, making beer in your Brilliant. basement is not limited to just middle-aged guys with nothing better oh, to do. Really? You can, yeah. anyone <laughs> can do it. And it is fairly low barrier of entry, especially in, in the age of the Googles, right? You can kind of get started on your own. And a lot of it is trial by error learning, but that is kind of the fun of it. And um, another thing I would throw in here, which I want to throw back to my Chicago roots really quick. I used to work at a place called the Green City Market for a wonderful fruit farmer, a guy named Peter, who runs a brand called Seedling, if I can shout them out real quick. Yeah. So I can kind of identify with this, with this, um, I wanted to say caller, this letter writer, this, this person. <laughs> I, uh, I worked, I started out making smoothies for this guy at his Sunday markets, uh, for like under the table cash and discounts with the other vendors through trade and stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, making juice drinks for people is very interesting, especially when there's allergies involved. So props to you for trying to maintain some quality there. That's that's uh, you're one of the good ones. But um, getting involved there, if you're lucky enough to live in a market where there is like a farmers market scene, and you you know, I just started working Sunday mornings uh, real early, uh, and the hardest part was loading and unloading the truck. Otherwise, you're just kind of hanging out during the day talking to people. But that led me to getting involved in his delivery business, meeting a whole bunch of the other farmers, uh, going out to his his farm in Michigan, wherever he was sourced from, meeting the people who made the cider for us. And he made um, hard cider and you know traditional cider. Some of it was made on site, um, but it was really cool. I suddenly found myself like on a farm helping field hands pick fruit and, and just learned tons and tons of stuff. And I got to make a little money doing it. And it was a nice break from the service side of that industry. Um, one of the funnest days I've had with Mike ever is Brian and I were camping in Michigan and Mike was like, oh, hey, I'm just like down I'm at the farm. I'm so close to you guys. And we went over there and it was like, you know, kind of like a shitty old like bachelor pad farmhouse where everybody the office was and everybody chilled. And he's like, let's he was like, here, smoke this weed. And we were like, OK. And then he's like, now come with me. And we like got on a golf cart and like drove around the whole farm. And he was like, pick that apple and eat it like now eat, now eat this herb. Now do this. It was so fun. And then we ended up getting some fresh milled cider and then took it home. And Brian and I at home like made our own hard cider. In our yeah, I, it was awesome. I love that you're like a fruit dominatrix. Yeah. Smoke this, pick this apple, eat it, scum. You're gonna love I mean, it. I mean, this farm, this seedling was supplying to like all like the hottest restaurants in Chicago, like and growing their inventory for them. It was such a beautiful thing. That's really great. And and to so it sounds like that our our writer is based you know in Manhattan, New York. And the beautiful thing is so much of the produce comes from upstate or Long Island, like the North Fork over that way is just like where you get all like the beautiful asparagus in the summer, all this other shit. So this is just a great lead. And I don't think we've ever given anyone better advice ever. Yeah. Uh, and this is <laughs> thanks to Mike. You really really knocked that out of the park. So we hope this inspires you, our dear writer. Good job. Let's go into about this this coming clean story that we got. Okay. Um, which says, I saw your post about coming clean about something you did at work. The restaurant I worked at served potato chips as a side for all sandwiches. If customers were terrible, they always were. Our clientele were boomers and older. You got a special helping of floor chips. <laughs> As in, I would drop the chips on the floor in the kitchen, put them on a plate. Yeah. Do I feel bad? A little, but we didn't do it often. And then I remember a customer telling a coworker, you're the dumbest person I have ever met. So I don't care anymore. Floor chips. Floor, round floor of floor chips. chips. For you. Floor chips for you, sir. You Aww. get floor chips. You get a floor chips. 
I mean, that floor gets like scrubbed every night, so there could be worse places I, in the kitchen. Can I be honest? Hopefully, it does. Every yeah. every time I eat chips, there are some floor chips involved. I drop it and I put it right back into my mouth. I don't fucking care. But anyways, uh, oh my god, I love this. Come clean, you guys. Like I do too. S- send them our way. Come send clean. us a little blurb. Yep, so good. Um, or just any regular server submitted stories. At that, we love that. There's a fresh new batch. Please keep them coming. Well, sidewordpod, sidewordpod at gmail.com. And you know what? If this feels less intimidating to just confess something. And write a whole story. Maybe this is your time to shine. If you've been sitting therapy. on it, there Good we go. Bits of therapy every day. All right. Thanks as always for submitting. Please, please, please keep them coming. Okay. Picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, guys, we're diving in today. We're going to talk about hotels in a minute, but uh, let's get to know our guest. Let's get to know Mike Langley, who I've known Oh God! For since two thousand and three, oh, wow. and we've already obviously gotten to know him and his history a bit. But here's 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 the the sweetness of it all is that Mike and I worked at Buca de Beppo together. Ding ding, Mike! If you didn't know, we have a Buca bell uh, here <laughs> on the show that every time Buca de Beppo is mentioned, we ring a bell. <laughs> wow. I know, I know. Who knew? Does a Paisano all these years partner later? get their wings every time? Maybe. Oh, I love um, this. So, when did you get into the service industry? I got into the service industry. Um, well, I, I worked in like retail as a kid. My my dad was a uh, had there was a men's clothing company, like a mall rat job. I, I started out doing that in high school, and then when I moved to Chicago to become you know a famous filmmaker someday and go to film school at Columbia College, oh. like so many of us. Do. Um, right. I have, yeah, I got uh, into the service industry. I started working at a place called Bertucci's uh, through uh, a friend of mine uh, got me in there. That's always how you get into a restaurant somewhere. And I started right. as a host. I was the worst host in the world. I understood nothing <laughs> about how restaurants work and didn't get trained at all. And everyone hated me. <laughs> and then I got trained to serve about two months before the place closed. Um, <laughs> that led to a brief interview uh, 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 at the Rainforest Cafe. Downtown Chicago. Oh, yes. Wait, <laughs> yep. down there, downtown Chi-Town? Mm-hmm. You know we the know one. the one. Yeah, serving dinosaur-shaped chicken fingers to unruly children. And uh, we had a service elevator that was always broken. Uh, and you would end up having to carry, you know, giant serving trays full of, like, frozen drinks, like, down the stairs that everyone's waiting in line to get seated at. Uh, when you had a downstairs section and no service bartender down there, if the dumbwaiter was broken, that's what you had to do. And yeah, so I've worn many a frozen cocktail. That was the first job I ever got fired from. Um, that's a story for a different podcast. Uh, 
Uh-oh. The first time I got intentionally sabotaged on the floor so someone could have an excuse to fire me. One of the okay. only times that happened. But basically, there were some personal things happening outside of work that led to that me not wanting to be around and them not wanting me around anymore for mm-hmm. all kinds of fun reasons. That's what happens um, when you're young and you all hang out with each other all the time. Yeah, and your manager sticks your tongue down your throat um, at a dance club the night before. Yeah, oh. yeah, I knew that's what it was really coming down to. It was something to. like that. And her boyfriend was that, like the head of security at that perfect. So it was just like, yeah, I was gone. That was just happening. That was like, we all fucked up. And But um, but you really you really made the rounds in Chicago. I know that you were at House of Blues for a minute. That's what led that. to House of Blues. Well, actually, a Bertucci connection led to House of Blues. And then I was Did there you- for a couple of years. Did you ever work with a girl named Jocelyn Hughes? Wow, that sounds familiar. Well, she was That's our old co-host and our good friend. I don't long, think they were long black, straight, shiny hair. She bartended. She was absolutely there while you were. Yeah, I mean, I was probably there from like 2000 to like 2000. I, I was actually I was at the House of Blues on 9/11. That was uh oh. Um that's that's how far back that goes. Yeah, I probably started working there in 2000 and then um Shortly after all, I was there for like two, two and a half years. Oh, okay. Uh, you may have, may have been ships in the night, but anyways. Then he came to Buca de Beppo. Yeah, and let's get to it. Yep, yep. Um, so Mike worked there, was already working there when I arrived. And and as the story goes, I worked at the one in Omaha and was able trans- to transfer to the one in Chicago. And the Chicago one was pretty, like, super, it was super popular and, like, pre- a pretty cool job to work at. Right, Mike? Yeah, I had a very, near, you know, I kind of did that thing that Buka was trying to do really well. You know, the original being in Minneapolis in this basement, it kind of evokes all of the things they're trying to evoke with it naturally. And the one downtown, or not the one downtown, it was in Lakeview off Clark Street, mm-hmm. Chicago, felt like a neighborhood restaurant. And if you did not know better, which many Chicagoans never leave the city ever, uh, you wouldn't know it was a change. So the chain, right. there's no table tents, the food was super good, it felt mm-hmm. authentic, it was a little kitschy, but like we That's made our sauces in house and yeah and so you could actually even though it was a chain italian kind of thing you could feel pretty good about it the food was awesome it was mostly good place to work because of the people you worked with um, yeah we all like had a real work hard play hard mentality and our management was really good we absolutely brooke had a uh, assistant manager manager named michael porn true real last real name right. such a nice guy the yep. nicest guy um he got fired it sucked <laughs> I don't know why, um, but he was out. And then our other manager, Kristen, who was also the shit, like she let me buy Pixie's tickets like on the computer in the back because she was like, right. they're coming to town. It's the reunion. Andrea, go back there and buy yourself tickets. We'll watch your section while you do it. You know, I, that's amazing. I remember that's that. Like, yeah. That's like called being a real human, you know? Yeah. And things changed pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Once she left and Michael Porn left, then everything got a little sour after that. Yeah. I got real salty. Mike got real salty. But I think there was at least a good year there when we all worked together that we just all, like we were a family for sure. We I mean, you can't, together. you can't mm-hmm. ask for better. If you had a really solid year at a restaurant, it's, you know, it's rare. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I personalities agree. will always clash. Things will always happen on the floor. But for the most part, everybody there was kind of family. And we'd go to Jake's afterwards across the street. And I think Jake's is still there. Yeah, um, Jake's Pub is very much still there. Yeah. Um, and spend all our money and get very drunk. That is oh, very much what we did. <laughs> Three to five but it was great. Yeah. yeah, it was so much fun. I couldn't have asked for like a more fun coworker than Mike Langley. And, you know, and we're still buddies today for sure.
you know, we both separated and went our ways. And Mike, and that's why we're here to talk about, got into working at a very corporate hotel. Um, just a big name. We're not going to say this. We're not going to say the one. name. But, but if, you know, if there's thinking, a handful of big ones. And, and yeah. it's one of those that you're thinking of. It's one of those that your mind evokes when you think of one of the biggest uh, chains. I'm going to have to be very careful with my word choices to not. Uh, I, I mean, I can't get fired. <laughs> I you don't know going in, Yeah. <laughs> and you went in as like a like a essentially like a banquet server. Is that right? Yeah, so I kind of reached uh, one of those moments that many of us do after many, many years in the service industry was I can't do this anymore, but I don't know what else <laughs> to do. So uh-huh. I'm going to try to switch this up and go in a different direction. And um, so I went from, you know, Buka and I hopped to a neighborhood Italian restaurant that was kind of like a knockoff of that kind of thing, uh, following that wonderful person, Kristen, uh, to her next job. And then I wound up at uh, Ruth's Chris Steakhouse downtown Chicago, which was crazy. And then transition. That was the that was the breaking point for me uh, and went to. Uh, that, it was a steakhouse that I worked at Sullivan's right across the street. Yeah. So it broke probably, me. It broke yeah. me. I was like, no, 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 I won't. I will not. I will not. I don't care how much money I'm making. This is not worth like the sole price that I'm paying. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was one of the busiest, most lucrative jobs I ever had. And I hated every minute of it. And I got burnt <laughs> out and I decided to uh, go back to grad school, you know, get, get even more student loan debt. Awesome decision. And uh, <laughs> needed a different uh, option. So, and I need more flexibility. So I, did, I found, I discovered hotel banquets and I got hired as a brand new hire at a brand new property, a luxury brand downtown Chicago. And, um, yeah, as a banquet server. And that was a very new experience for me because uh, I'd always done all the cart service and fine dining mm-hmm. type of service. And it was upscale, white glove. We did like synchronized service and all that stuff. Got to do all kinds of fun, crazy stuff. But it was definitely a big change. And then I realized, dear God, you can make a ton of money working in banquets and have tons of scheduling flexibility and got kind of addicted to it. Wow. I mean, that's, that's a great. That's a hot tip, especially now that we can go back and actually do these things. Since I, I don't know if you're familiar with our podcast at all, but the what we're hearing so much from so many people is like they don't want to go back or if they go back, they want it like on their terms and they want flexibility. And so like, yeah, just shout out. Maybe this is a really great option if you're looking for a kind of change or lateral move in the service industry. Yeah, the, the big thing about doing events is it's all very market specific. So when you're in a place like Chicago, New York, LA, Seattle, where there's a ton of business travel and lots of conventions uh, and things like that, it can be very lucrative because you're having a, you know, you're working for a major corporation that's milking other major corporations on people's expense accounts for things. And it basically yep. no one cares. So the prices are all jacked up. Everything is kind of reflective of that. And, you know, uh, even in the tourist facing places like doing, um, Events is all kind of about what's going on in your local industries and how much money is being spent. Uh, but you can, in a market like Chicago or Seattle or something like that, you can be making um, an easy, like like 30 to 50 bucks an hour on average. And um, most of the time you start out as an on-caller. So you're brought in when they need you and they'll, they'll basically say you need to be available on weekends or whatever. And um, there's a whole like seniority pool thing. So it's really it might be easy to get into, but it's kind of hard to move up and turn it into a full-time job. So what a lot of people do is they get on-call jobs at like five or six hotels and juggle their schedule around all of that. Uh, if they're smart and are capable of doing it, that can lead to easy six-figure income. Um, wow. Dude, you are dropping pearls, my friend. <laughs> 
It's very insular. That's the problem with hotels is it's all like kind of mobbed up. It's a lot of family members getting their family members, you know, jobs and people keep them. So when you get, if you get a full-time banquet server job, it's coveted. People will stay there for 20, 30 years because hotels do offer, and I will credit them this despite any negative things I might say here today. Most major hotel companies are offering you a far better deal in terms of like benefits and overall quality of life at work than you're going to get in most of your kind of mom and pop or even corporate restaurant chains. Um, You're going to see things like you get insurance after you know you don't have to be working 40 hours every week they want you to stick around right when they get you in and you're good um and they're incentivized to keep you in a way that maybe other places aren't um so i, I think there's some nice quality like things about working in a hotel namely the discount because even as an on-caller with no qualifications for insurance still got a really sweet deal um for room rates right That's... like all over the world you've traveled yep. to get discounts on rooms right mm-hmm. and like weren't you telling me that there's like once you're 10 years in like that's for life whether you quit or not it's like 20 or 25 of the company i worked at and um as, uh, yeah so basically you get grandfathered in you get that rate permanently even if you retire or quit it's just yours forever as kind of a thank wow. you for um and in a place like seattle that doubles down within the city itself there's mandates and regulations so you know there's like a 15 dollar an hour minimum wage even if you're tipped um, the hotels right. all have to compete for workers because it's so expensive in Seattle. Uh, so they'll actually pay a little more than that. Even as a server, I was making more than that, not doing banquets. Um, and then uh, here in, in, in this particular market, you actually get your health insurance paid for as well. It's not just discounted, it's paid for by your employer, which is pretty amazing. That's pretty awesome. Um, can we talk about really quick? Cause you, you're just like firing through all these bullet points. Like we don't even have to ask. It's so, no, it's beautiful. It's great. (laughs) But I want to, I want to hear more about synchronized serving. Yeah. I just want to hear a little bit about that. Cause we, at the steakhouse, my, my understanding of it is we would, it was called swarming. You know, where we all, <laughs> it sounds really aggressive. Like, quit swarming the table. Oh, no, I mean, I, do swarm that table. I'm confused. Yes, I don't know. But it's like, it was it was a synchronized where like all the plates were like on the table at, at once. So usually, you know, there's, there's, um, we would have like a team of like maybe three to five servers, depending upon the sizes of the people at the tables. So you'd have like uh one head waiter, kind of two or three support people, and then like a floater. And you'd have a section of like maybe four or five, six tables, maybe more. Every section needs a floater. Am I right? <laughs> and, and there was a and there was a point guard. So. Right, exactly. <laughs> Gotta keep those threes. Uh no, so um, but yeah, so that person's usually like watering the tables. Oh, you need more wine. They're kind of managing that stuff while, especially during coursed service so maybe sometimes the salad course is preset on the table or pre-dressed or and then we run it out synchronized service like russian style synchronized service is all like you wear white gloves and uh you do like all four people let's say you have a a, a 12 top uh table around everyone has three plates in arm and you all have a mm-hmm. position you know on like the clock one through 12 so you start at a certain clock position, all dictated by that head server. As soon as they serve with the left, you serve with the left. So everything hits the table at the exact same time. Um, and then you'll go around the table in order. So you just kind of do this quick flow of dropping the plates. And you do the same thing at clearing, too. We'd all gather around behind right. people to pull those empties and pull the chargers off. Uh, and then, yeah, walk very briskly all the way across, you know, like a football field size dining room back to the kitchen where they are stacking you up and you're basically you're lined up in order don't say anything don't piss off the cooks just wait for your plates patiently. also these are like these are the biggest kitchens you've ever seen also they're amazingly huge 
Uh, all of your food has been sitting in hot boxes for a while. So your plates are like, dear God, hot. And those white gloves are not thick enough to do the job. So you get calluses <laughs> super quickly. You also get to wear an outfit that makes you feel like a porter on the love boat uh, at the nicer hotels. Those yes. are pretty cool outfits. <laughs> I love it. And, uh, Did you guys do lots of weddings or was it just mainly corporate stuff? It was mostly corporate stuff. It was pretty pricey property in a pretty competitive market and uh, definitely got into doing more weddings and social event type of things. But we also like had some certain situations where like major celebrities would be in town playing uh, a concert and they would just book out like a, a whole floor of the hotel mm-hmm. um, to themselves. And then we'd have like banquet space set aside for them. This property in particular had two separate ballrooms, like full-size ballrooms that could be uh, one of which could be divided up into separate meeting spaces. And like, I don't know, like 50 breakout rooms or something like that, maybe more. It was enormous. So there's constantly things going on. You'd be doing things like dinners, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner service, whether it's plated or buffeted, you could be doing what they call coffee breaks, which are really sweet gigs where mm, you basically mm-hmm. go around refreshing all the stations with the snacks and the beverages on them yeah. for the meeting groups. And that's a cool job because you don't have to talk to anybody. You just kind of push yep. your cart around and go refill things. And typically with the way you're getting paid in a banquet department, everything is a tip share. Every event has a gratuity charge added to it. So on top of your hourly pay, that goes into a tip pool that is then divided uh, based on the hours you work. So whether right. you worked the crazy fancy event or you were, you know, refilling coffee for 20, everybody makes the same money all the time. So then it all becomes seniority driven who gets to work what shifts. So early on, you're doing tons of breakfasts where you have to be at work at like 4.30 in the morning, but yeah. you'll work yeah. 4.30 to nine and you made as much as you did working at a place like Ruth's Chris or Sullivan's on a Saturday wow. night where you had to get treated like garbage and you barely had to talk to anybody. You were just like busting plates and most of the time there's tons of downtime on that job, especially with plated functions. You have a couple hours at the beginning. Most of your work is set up in teardown. The actual service is a very short part of your shift, which is yeah. awesome, but super weird when you're a waiter who like needs to be busy or like just wants to go do drugs in the bathroom to get through their shift. <laughs> not saying I've done that or do that anymore. I mean, you're- you're basically just waiting for like the cows to come into the corral, right? And well, then yeah. You just you make sure and water set. them, and then you they go out for it's a pasture. Mm-hmm. It's it's um, like it's like a controlled being weeded. It's like a very yes. everyone sits at once. But guess what? You were anticipating it, so yep. So you're just loaded for bear and ready to go for when you need it. It's rapid fire service at a place where they are doing that kind of elevated thing. I mean, I got to do one of those types of plated dinner things, and one of the people at my table was the Dalai Lama. Like it was crazy. It was the Dalai Lama, and and if you could pick one actor who would be sitting at the same table as the Dalai Lama, who would that be? Joaquin yeah. Phoenix, uh, Aaron Paul. More active, more activist. Leonardo DiCaprio, annoyingly activist. Mark Toby McGuire. Sean Penn. Oh, oh yeah, he was actually go. super cool. Like, and it was a very like it was a big deal event, and there was a whole bunch of people there, but it was just like. Uh, what is going on? Like, I never in a million years would be thinking I was sitting here like clearing the Dalai Lama's salad. I was going to say I, like Keith Ranieri. That motherfucker had, met the Dalai Lama. <laughs> I had this, Brian and I had the same experience where we went to a little weekend Palm Springs getaway and I was like, never in my life did I think I'd be too high on an edible eating dinner next to Sean Penn, like housing <laughs> a cheese plate. So I've been and I, there. And then I was over at the Ace Hotel down the way and I was like, Ruffalo's in the pool. Get over here. It was <laughs> a weird week. It was a weird was week fun. for Broken Eye. It's impressive. 
much like how I transferred from Omaha, Buca de Beppo, to Chicago, you transferred from Chicago to Seattle when you moved. So, like, I think we we know the gist and the rundown. Let's let's get into some dirt. You know, oh, yeah. like, let's talk about when you started bartending, right? Because I'd imagine at a hotel bar, it's different than working at a neighborhood pub. It's fancy, but it's like not fancy. You're basically like a glorified tour guide. And you, you know, you probably see some shady shit because there's a lot of in and outs at especially hotel bars, whether it's <laughs> yep. like Literally. sex workers or, Literally you know. And then, you know, I'm sure you're hearing a lot of unwarranted information from guests. I was talking to Brian about this the other day and I was like, I feel like people who are fish out of water that go in, or to hotels and travel that never leave their hometowns are the ones that are the loudest and most vocal about how vulnerable they are. They're just like, I'm just a redneck from a small town. I don't know what to do. And I feel like you might have taken the brunt of a lot of that, Mike. Oh, especially in Seattle uh, at a hotel in a market that faces the cruise ship industry very heavily. Uh, Alaska <laughs> cruises depart from here. So you get... Uh, Cruise ship uh, guests are a very unique, uh, particular demographic. They tend to come from very specific places. You know, um, I grew up somewhere where uh, it getting hot was a novelty and you loved it when it happened. So you didn't uh, try to escape from it in the summertime like a lot of people from the <laughs> South Bites or other different right. places. Uh -huh. And they are not necessarily from a very politically liberal or leftist place. So they come to Seattle after you know watching certain news channels and having very clear perceptions about what it's like here and kind of have to declare their opposition to the bartender and anyone else who's listening um you know just out of nowhere so there's a lot of that like just some random dude who didn't need to announce himself because he looks the part sitting down at your bar complaining about you know something but like not trying to piss you know oh, i don't know i'm just from this place and we don't got these rainbow flags everywhere and all this liberal blah 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 and they usually want to like blame liberal policies for like the homeless problem to your point through traffic in a hotel you got to watch out for things that you would never see in a neighborhood bar restaurant or even like a corporate place right uh maybe you got to deal with somebody coming in and trying to snatch purses every now and again uh usually in hotels what you have to watch out for is people looking for a place to stay uh especially sure. in places where you've got you know right now there's homeless problem everywhere uh and in a place like seattle that does have more kind of tolerant policies about it you know they don't clear out these camps uh you do see people who manage to get their way into the building uh and you know if they know the building well enough figure out the layout they know which staircases they can get to or they can go prop open in the back so they can get back in later and they're trying to escape the rain or sure. pilfer a buffet i mean one of the things that com that uh comes from working banquets is the tremendous amount of waste a hotel is willing to uh just incur as a, as a cost of doing business the immense amount of food that gets thrown away that you will get reprimanded for eating any of yourself right um, right so you know it's this hard thing of like you having to be kind of the gatekeeper and the messenger for things you don't really want to be or or agree with necessarily like i don't want homeless people in my hotel it becomes problematic a lot of folks that are on the street do have serious like mental health issues they're not getting help for that's why right. they wind up in a place like seattle's because there's services and funding for that stuff um but they still live on the street they still sure. don't always get the help they need and then suddenly i'm dealing with somebody who's having some kind of episode in my dining room because they made it past mm -hmm. security and i work you know in my hotel at 400 rooms we only ever had like one security person on staff for the entire wow. building at any given time and their main job was to watch the back door for deliveries um, every now and again, they'd sweep the building and do their walks or whatever, but like 
profit margins, baby, keep that staffing levels cut to the bone. So you become the kind of the arbiter of a lot of conversations you don't want to have with those types of people. Uh, and then getting back to the whole bartending thing, you know, as you know, as a bartender, sometimes you don't discover somebody as a person with no money or beans until after you've already served them a drink. Um, right. And then you have to um, figure out how to deal with that. You know, my, my, our deal at the hotel always was just, you know, they're not causing the scene, let them finish. Uh, it's the importance of opening tabs with credit cards. I always feel like kind of a dick doing that to people, especially when you know them. But when a place has a hard policy about it, it just makes it so much easier. And most hotels right. will because they're, you know, accounting for that in a different way. The other thing right. that you get as a bartender is um, that neighborhood bartending thing does come into play because there's always business travelers, business travelers who come to markets regularly, find the hotel they like, and might come back like 10 or 15 times a year. Sometimes they're coming back every week. Uh, like and this, you're their guy. They're like, yeah. oh, it's Mike. He's going to pour me a drink. He's going to tell yeah. me where to go have dinner. Yeah. If you travel a lot, you like to have little touchstones that feel like home away from home. It, it makes the job more bearable. It, you know, you don't feel like you're just a constant fish out of water. I'm sure these same people, too, have their favorite, you know, airport bartenders like we've discussed too like where that job sees so much back and forth in and out you might only see most of these people one time ever but then you have your actual business travelers um who are like they're coming in to see you they ask for your section or when they're landing at your hotel they're coming to see you mike mm -hmm. yeah and it becomes a nice thing because most of the time your job is less personal it is more kind of yes. turn and burn when you're at a hotel bar you know even if you got a restaurant in that bar or the lobby or whatever, your your busy times change. It's usually, okay, people are getting ready to go out for the night. So you get the first round of the evening, the happy hour time, you're slammed. And then from like seven to 10, it's quiet. And then after mm. everyone comes back and wants a nightcap, you get busy again until midnight. So you don't have the same, the ebbs and flows are different because you're not necessarily the destination. There's always going to be the people who, for whatever reason, aren't willing to uh, leave the property for food or drink uh, and want to just stay in the hotel. And that's who you get to deal with uh, on a Saturday night uh, or on New Year's Eve or what have you. Uh, and, and, you know, for the most part, the expect the sad thing about um, hotel food service is uh, the expectations are pretty low most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. And I do think, I mean, there, and there are, you know, and we'll get into this in, in our, in our part two of hoteling, like very high end restaurants and hotels, I think because they have the money to house some of these high end chefs and we'll get into that next, but it does really ebb and flow. Um, did you ever do room service? Were you in charge? Did you ever deliver room service? No, actually, but a couple of my, uh, so uh, the property in the last property I worked at eliminated, um, in room, food service, uh, everything strip. And this is kind of part of the trend of the industry right now is moving towards more grab and go options where there's less mm -hmm. uh, labor involved. So we used to have in-room dining servers. We had a dedicated in-room dining menu. You could still order anything off the restaurant menu and have it brought up to your room. And, there was and they'd still do the like big reveal. They'd like bring the train mm -hmm. and the like table, sets the with the tiny salt and pepper shaker. Yeah. Yeah, I love those. <laughs> and the secret was that that was actually the best paying job in the hotel from a tip perspective. I, uh, oh, I would imagine. Autograts plus people would throw you cash and not necessarily realizing or just happy for the extra level of service. And mm -hmm. barely all you're doing is pushing a cart to their room and picking that stuff up when it's done. Half the time, the housekeepers are the ones who have to pick that stuff up the next day. Uh, and you barely have to interact with anybody. You do have to do a lot of running. It's a big property. I mean, we had right. like I think two in-room dining servers at most. And it was like a 400-room hotel. Uh, Whoa. And breakfast time must have been fucking bonkers, mm -hmm. I would imagine. And people I will see, have breakfast. Oh, yeah, yeah. And 
I see so much more often that probably the way hotels um, started to deal with that, because I know this sounds like real fancy, but before I moved to, excuse me, after I moved to LA and when my job kept being back out in New York, um, I mean, I would live in the W hotel for 16 days <laughs> in a fucking row. And the way I saw them handle it is the night before is you fill out your breakfast orders and hang it on the door mm -hmm. and so it's like it's not the same um being like just murdered with the phone lines because you know if you're calling at rush hour they're just not picking up the phone and that's a bad way you know so it was interesting because it was just like your breakfast would arrive within the time you requested it and um yeah it was great they just got a total jump on it it was really smart and as long as like the expectations are, are fairly clear and there's consistency there, I mean, you can speak to that experience of like treat, having a hotel be like your home away from home for a while and how just mm -hmm. some level of consistency is very uh, affirming and, and nice. And that's what I think, you know, regular hotel travelers are expecting, right? For the most part, most people in a tourist facing hotel, you're never going to see them again. But those few faces right. that uh, you do see, especially if you're cool towards that person, that bartender, uh, like you would be your neighborhood bartender. It is easy to develop a rapport. They, I, I spent so much of my night bored and happy to have someone to talk to, um, <laughs> as long as it wasn't talking about their their cruise or how much they right. hated, you know, my politics or whatever. Oh um, yeah, because you'd get people on the back end of their cruises too, right? And if they had a bad experience, I'm sure you heard all about it. Or if yep. they're coming off with some norovirus and passing it on to you. Well, that was actually uh, right before we shut down. We were all convinced we got exposed to it from one of our coworkers who had gone on a what? cruise to South America and got wildly sick when they got back. Um, I well, mean, it was not. Thing. Yeah. Working in a hotel, like sickness like that can spread, like for sure. Is there any, I mean, have you seen that firsthand where people have gotten sick? Yep. I have also <laughs> had to deal with. Um, uh, migrating pest infestations uh, to my own home. I got bed bugs oh, no! once. Oh, that just, I feel like that's just part of the job. Like every hotel has had bed bugs. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Like they have every single one. Well, you can't make people be clean. And if you no. have bed bugs at home and you pack one, like your stuff on your bed, guess what? You brought bed bugs with you to the hotel or wherever you went. And so a lot of times it's just like, did you go into a guest's room? Did you touch like, you know, like, like maybe the, you know, there's limited storage space for the associates. So like maybe uh, you've got uh, your jackets on top of somebody else's jacket who's an interim dining server or a, you know, does running. And like, anyway, I just, that was one of the, that was gross. Oh, it was so gross. <laughs> I am, I'm sorry. I am, I listen to me knocking on wood right now. I've yet to experience it. And, um, and I'll, I'll just jump right on that comforter. I have no, sh I won't pull things back. I'll just be like, I'm in a hotel. Like, I mean, depending on the one, but I don't follow any of the rules. So I <laughs> knock on wood also like feel pretty good about it. Um, but like, is, wasn't there an incident in Chicago with the Legionnaires situation? Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> speaking of, uh, you know, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, like, like what a lot is Legionnaires? What is it? It is a, I believe it is a, like an autoimmune thing that gets into your lungs. It is respiratory. Like a bacterial infection. Something yes. like that. And it's, it, 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 it's very, very uh, contagious and can be fatal, though it's one of those like dead diseases, right? It almost never exists anywhere anymore. Yeah, the case rate is so low. So um, during the opening year of, uh, my 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 first hotel job. We had this gorgeous uh, 
very uh, well-maintained historically. It was a historically significant architectural location. So they had renovated and maintained the interior uh, because it was just kind of a piece of history. And part of it was this really beautiful fountain um, that you could like sit around that was right in the lobby of uh, of the hotel and right when you walked in the doors. And yeah, they had to uh, remove that uh, uh, fountain after um, it's unfortunately some sort of bacterial thing formed in there that they weren't able to catch and uh, it got into the ventilation system and spread around the hotel and they basically kind of had to like uh, I don't know if they actually shut down the hotel or shut down certain floors but baby it was a really tough first year because the word did get out about that it was reported in the news this isn't like a secret thing but like somebody died uh, it was a person who was oh, immune compromised and they basically decided to remove the fountain from the property for instead of like un- incurring any kind of further risk on it. And un- it was just a really sad thing, but it speaks to the, the amount of things that a hotel is trying to accomplish and yeah. how kind of ill suited they are to execute on a lot of them, because it does require a lot of different things. You know, we're dealing with, you know, you have to have maintenance crews that are that, that know how to fix an air conditioner, a pool, a plumbing system, you know, electronic. The, 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 that's just any hotel, right? Much less anything that that's super fancy. knows how to keep a fountain clean. This is just I a matter know. of them not Especially keeping a brand it clean, new, right? A brand new hotel. And just to clarify, you guys, Legionnaires is a type of pneumonia ah. that is caused by bacteria. And you get it through mist from air conditioning units. So, like, that shit was spreading, like, wild fire it's taken us this long to talk about hotels but you know when you really when it comes down to it it's every single thing we've talked about brooke under one roof yes it's like all the types of service jobs like all toss mashed fucking together and then the customer doesn't go home they stay there (laughs) right (laughs) that guy you cut off the night before might be back for breakfast with his family the next day yeah it's a slumber party um yeah i was like even saying though like what you might hear at a normal bar just a standalone bar i'm you know bartenders have heard it all but i also feel like when you're at a hotel and you've got like you're hearing like crazy business deals going down because a solo business traveler doesn't give a fuck. He's like, I don't know anyone here. And they don't count you as a person with ears, even though you're the bartender. And here they are on this like important call talking about probably really sensitive information. Then you've also got every type of affair definitely happening. I'm certain of it. And just lots of weird, bad behavior because people think no one knows who they are or where they are. And there's a certain level of entitlement coming along with uh, like, you know, they're in a service environment that they, especially with when you've got people who have those reward levels. I'm mm-hmm. a, I'm yeah. a type vibranium elite, five <laughs> diamond, go fuck yourself. Don't you know who I am? Like, I, you know, many times some random dude's like, don't you know who I am? I'm like, no, no, I have no idea who you are. All I know is like, I don't have a table for you and we're on wait. Sorry. Like, sorry, you I have to like follow rules. Just knowing you like I do, Mike, I feel like that's the one sentence that like I nobody should ever ask you <laughs> because you'll be like, oh, motherfucker, your night's about to get a lot worse. Like, it's like I do now, motherfucker. <laughs> You're on a list. Floor chips. This list. guy's getting floor chips. Floor, floor chips. Exactly. chips. Coming in hot. Yeah. And like, you know, that's just doubling down on whatever sanitation standards are being avoided on that given shift, um, either in the kitchen or on the floor, because that's kind of the other side of it when you're <laughs> dealing with these hotel things is that like, 
I've, I've used, keep using the word profit margin. That is the defining factor of what's make, guiding all of these decisions, right? You know, right. the thing about a hotel is that it does everything and it cares about none of it except for <laughs> how many, they call it heads and beds. How can we monetize this person's stay via these amenities and increase our profit margins? So it's not a matter of, is it good? It's, is it good enough at what it costs us to do it? And there's always going to be an incentive to revisit that equation to increase those profit margins. And you're seeing it across the entire hotel industry. And there's just a quick anecdote about this. I was reading up on this inadvertently about something else. And I came to realize that um, there was a, there was a major acquisition in the hotel industry, two chains merged and a whole bunch of brands became under the same umbrella. And that happened pre pandemic. Uh, and it's been in the works for a number of years. Uh, but those two companies combined today or in 2019, anyway, pre pandemic actually have a hundred thousand dollars, a hundred thousand and fewer employees uh, than they did before the financial collapse in 2008. So wow. 2008 was kind of the, the breaking point for a lot of hospitality uh, businesses, hotel, major corporate hotels, especially. And that was where they started to really pivot towards paring down the labor costs. And uh, so if you're a capable server, uh, which I'd like to think I was in my day, I was able to go work in a breakfast job at a, you know, kind of Joe Blow hotel restaurant and uh, make better money than I ever made working fine dining or a steakhouse in a place like Chicago, which has a huge scene. Um, and all I was doing was serving eggs, bennies and French toast and, you know, just kind of schlepping that stuff to tourists uh, because I had like a 15 table section. Yeah. You know, like they, they, yeah. They, you would never get in, in like a you know real restaurant, if you will. But it was right. like they, they didn't care. I was like, I could handle it. Even if people complained, they didn't complain enough for it to be a problem. So it was just how right. it was. And, and suddenly and, I was making a bank. Half of your guests are expensing on that shit. So whatever, mm -hmm. you know. And and anyone with half half of a brain has been in a restaurant before can look around and be like, dude, there's like this place has like 40 tables and like four servers. Obviously, I'm gonna wait for my stuff. So most people, mm -hmm. even the tourists, are just like, you know, happy that you're trying. And I think that's kind of goes back to like your the letter that kicked all of this off, right? Like that person right. has some after all of it, you still have this need to do things the right way to give the person like what it's, what they're supposed to be paying for. Right. That, you know, uh, if, if there are basic stuff, right. And these days, well, it's all about kind of cutting those things out uh, or not prioritizing for them instead of prioritizing for something different. So now Which you're going to see most restaurants go grab and go. You're going to start seeing all the cart service disappear entirely. You're not going to see buffets anymore at, at restaurants. Well, like all that's yeah. going to disappear. I mean, it, it's a total bummer for, and it's just another example of like major corporations with tons of money, like not giving back like they should, but like during the, during COVID, you know, I don't, I, I mean, obviously you're, you were furloughed, correct? Yes. And did the hotel, were they taking guests? Were people staying there? Like, I do believe that the hotel maintained some basic operations, but basically shut down every, like, you know, no banquets, no restaurants. All the food and beverage service stuff was shut down simply because they don't have the capacity to do like the, and then this is not talking smack about any one property. It's just like most hotels do not have like the capacity to maintain basic sanitation standards on a good day anyway. Yeah, um, yeah. So conforming to COVID, it was just like, wow. nope, we're not doing any of this. Uh, let's just worry about, you know, the rooms, which what which is the core aspect of the business and keeping, uh, but I mean, we dropped down to like, like less than like a, a single digit percentage occupancy rate for like months and months and months so everything got shut down um and uh i'm losing the thread here what were you asking me oh just like well i mean just and you were talking to me about covid like and how specifically this hotel like mm. dealt with like 
saving like didn't they froze all their food is that what you told me yeah so i will credit uh the company i was working for did do some some night like they, they furloughed us so that we could take unemployment and you know they didn't, they didn't want to fire anybody they were hoping you know to be able to bring people back to have their jobs and all that stuff which was great and living in a super liberal place like seattle actually had a living wage of unemployment benefits without any federal assistance so great, uh, they've had great. a really hard time kind of picking back up and restaffing because of that right now because of all the sure. things we've talked about nobody really trusts them but um and again, like like most people don't trust their employers, period, especially with like safety, sanitation, things like that. But um, yeah, they shut down um, last March pretty quickly. And then actually they even gave us a stipend, like a, like a one-time like sort of like disaster pay thing in addition to that, which was all really, really nice. Um, but yeah, since, uh, since then they have been slowly slowly reintroducing certain amenities and services and things are starting to come back it turns out uh they're going to try to have a cruise ship season to alaska this summer which is going to be interesting to see uh yeah yeah and all this stuff is like ah even though i worked in a market where i did make a good wage even if i didn't make tips it was still showing up for work because i was making you know a reasonable hourly wage uh I, i i was just like thanks but no thanks part of the conversation about uh being brought back has was part of largely built around kind of the, the, just the individual kind of things that I know anecdotally to your point. Uh, we, when they shut down again, margins and matter, uh, you know, they, they hope the a hotel will do anything to, to save on costs, right? That might mean, uh, throwing things in the freezer instead of throwing things away. Uh, and that might be, there might be a lot of things that that makes sense for because they're already frozen in storage already, but usually, uh, when you uh, prepare something that is meant to be consumed, like let's say soup, um, especially anything with like seafood or dairy or anything else kind of, you know, that doesn't really keep that well long-term in it, uh, you would just toss that stuff out instead of uh, saving it. Unfortunately, uh, one of the big deterrents for me going back to my property was hearing from my friends in the kitchen that we had uh, frozen up our batch of clam chowder when the hotel food services shut down. And um, the first batch that we were serving when we reopened was that same chowder that had been in the freezer for about a year. For a year? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't like that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love the idea that we're like, everything must go in the freezer. Do it now. We have like a race against time. And then when the year later, when they reopen the kitchen, they unpack it. There's like a lowly, like a frozen prep cook who got pushed to the back yeah. of the walk-in. Yeah. <laughs> He's a like real Encino man moment, you know? <laughs> well, and it's interesting, Mike, because like the difference we're seeing with restaurants who finally get to open back up, they're doing really limited fresh menus. They're mm-hmm. only buying what they can blow through and what they can make right now until business really is truly normalized. And then everything you're saying about hotels is just like the polar opposite. Oh, And yeah. also as cold as the, the North Pole. Um, cause they're freezing. I mean, that clam exactly. Chowder. Yeah. Freezing. Just they used, right, you know, does it even if no. theoretically it's frozen that whole time and it didn't spoil, like to, to, if you knew that that was what you were being served, you would probably never go back to that place again. Hell no. Yeah. And yeah. This that, does remind me of, uh, a couple of years ago, Brooke, when we talked about, they were making, uh, clam chowder popsicles. Do you remember yes. that article that we talked about? Yes. The, it's like the, a real thing. It's a whole new context now. 
I mean, but yeah, that's exactly you were talking about, like, you know, there's a a big push for no waste kitchens right now. And from what you said earlier, hotels are just all waste kitchens is pretty much what it sounds like. So what a shift they need to make. I mean, it it could be like a good opportunity if they're slowly inching back toward it. But it, it is hard to when again, like when you're dealing with so many people. But are you so are you going back or are you done? Uh, I'd like to be done, but I don't know for sure uh, long term. Uh, you know, I was offered an opportunity to return to the property that I had been furloughed from. However, uh, there was kind of some big shifts. Um, the it was kind of a it was a it was a carefully worded conversation. But what I came to realize was that they weren't offering me my old job back. There was no server position. There was no full time server job available anymore, even in a hotel with a dedicated restaurant. Um, that because of the way they're kind of rolling out the reopen, what they're kind of creating now, at least at this particular location, is uh, uh, more like F&B customer service generalist positions where like maybe some days we do have, you know, maybe we only have like breakfast and lunch service in the restaurant three days a week, but then you spend the rest of your time being a runner or working the front desk or doing stuff like that. Pitching it to you as like, it's a way to increase your skills and, 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 you know, learn more. And it's like, it was a way for me to make less money and have my day not getting tips. Yeah. It's it sounds to me it's like, oh, sorry, we're really short staff. So we're going to work you to the bone and make you do all these things like half assed and it will reflect poorly on all of us. It's like just, That's what I'm hearing. It's just another way to <clears throat> kind of like adjust expectations. And so like like this was already happening, like pivoting towards grab and go type of service. There's, uh, you know, a lot of like business travel facing hotels will have like seven restaurants in the lobby. And all of them are like cafeterias. Right. There's no like fancy a la carte thing anymore. It's all just meant for um get you in, get you out for as much profit as we can extract. And um, I was even at a hotel in San Francisco where like I couldn't get room service, like any of the grab and go stuff. They wouldn't even bring it to your room. You had to go down to the lobby to get it. So I was like, fuck you. I'm ordering pizza. Like you don't get my money. Um, Totally. So um, that's going to be the trend post COVID is that the the labor costs are going to go down. They're going to try to do more with less. And I mean, can you, can you blame them when you have shareholders to answer to? I don't even blame like the culinary people making those decisions about like doing something kind of gross or sketchy like that. Cause the other side of it is, is, is we watch and see back to banquets, how much food just gets chucked in the trash at the end of the day, because it has yeah. to be, because they had to make a certain amount of it. Cause it was contracted to the client that we had to have this much food for this many people and this much of it's wasted. Can't give it to yeah. a shelter. Can't, you know, you just toss it. Um, so, and their whole, and their whole management is all, uh, bonus base right so once you're full-time right. like once you claw your way up to that like position at a property where you actually do get some incentive like all that you have to care about is your profit margins at least your bonus and that just breeds tons of apathy and indifference wow you have given us so much insight <laughs> <laughs> today seriously I, I don't think we could have like asked for a better guest to like tell oh us God. the ins and outs, quite honestly. But what I love, and Brooke, you should know, Mike pivoted to doing like online bar trivia for money during the <laughs> pandemic. I love it. I mean, <laughs> listen, I'm about to pivot to a dream that I didn't know I would be able to fulfill, which is hosting a karaoke night and being Girl. paid for it. I- my friend doesn't know what kind of monster he's just created, but <laughs> where are you going to host? Which bar? The Fable. Oh, you are going to do The Fable. Look, he'll be there. You'll be great. It'll be wonderful. 
Um, but I love that this is the shift, like that it was like I've done service industry my whole life and now I just host entertainment situations for everybody. I mean, why not? People people want it. People are so excited to be coming back out, you know, and whatever. You do these weird pivots, you know, to me, I'm like, that sounds whatever. If I feel like some semblance of being in charge, even though it's a ridiculous job, I'll take it. <laughs> I think you should start wearing costumes. I'm just going to say Oh, no, say no, no. I'm like already. I, I think I'm going to be DJ BVP or Madam BVP. I haven't decided, but there there is going to be a persona that emerges. So good. So yeah. good. What is your, what's but, your trivia name, Mike? Oh, I, I don't actually, I was just going by uh, my own name, but I will give a shout oh. out to my current employer, Trivia Hub. We, uh, Came, I uh, had a family friend connection that brought me to them last summer, right after, well, no, last summer, last fall, really, right after the, right after I got bored sitting around at home collecting unemployment. And um, they were like, hey, this business is taking off doing these virtual events built around these, this, this pub trivia app that we, this platform that's all web based that we use on Zoom. And do you wanna, do you wanna come host some games and make some money? I was like, no, that sounds terrible. <laughs> but thank you. How dare you approach me? <laughs> I was just like, God, no, why well, would it? No, uh, but I was like, you know what? That's stupid. I should, I should do it. It would be, I, I, my initial thing was like, I'm just going to do it to pay for my new laptop that I will need to do this job. And if I don't like it, I bought a new computer and I am done. And what I realized was that I was jumping on board of this exploding um, new kind of business field of different virtual event services uh, due to COVID. Uh, and those guys were really smart about making a pivot from being a subscription-based pub trivia platform where it was like, hey, pay a hundred bucks a month, use our software, set it up at your bar on a big TV and you can host a game and anyone with the phone can play. So that was a nice little business until you know all the bars closed last year. Uh, and now I'm doing sales. I went from doing like support, some hosting to support services. Now I am doing business development stuff and all of my experience talking to people in restaurants and bars and, um, also just learning how to pick up on cues and learning how to understand what people kind of need without them even saying it. And all those kind of anticipation skills that you get in the, the soft skills of the food and service industry oh, yeah. kind of led me into this position where now I'm talking to people of all kinds of crazy industries uh, who want to do virtual events, because even while we get back to reality here, the world has changed. And, you know, we're not going to necessarily see those, all those conventions and all that business travel and all that expense. I think, you know, a lot of entities are seeing that uh, they can accomplish a lot of those similar goals, doing virtual solutions and remote meetings and things like that. I don't think there is a replacement for getting people together in the real world, but I'm hoping that the job I have now isn't going to just disappear in like six months. <laughs> Yeah. I I vote for virtual cruises. Yes. Oh God, People, that's a good idea. stop getting on those boats. Can we just say that that was the end of that era? For God's sake. Uh, I'll be a virtual uh, cruise, cruise enter ship entertainment director, you know, for yes. sure. I can do that. I can I can manage that. Give me a green screen and a little beach ball and I'm ready to go. Um. Well, Mike, you're the fucking best. Like, honestly, this has been so great to catch up and hear about all of this, too. And um, yeah. when you come Andrea, to L.A., let's, let's do a show in Seattle. We've talked about we it with, will. with shot, will, Shots in the Walk-In and Mike Langley. Yeah, we'll do it. We absolutely. We'll do a, a show in Seattle. Mike, when you come to L.A., we kind of like sort of sort of talked about it. We could totally go to Buca de Beppo and like hate fuck our dinner the whole way. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's changed so much. I think we would just be like, I honestly think we would be like those assholes that would be like, 
this is not the same. This is like, we would just, and Brooke, if you came with us, we wouldn't stop talking shit the whole time. I guarantee I it's okay. But I'd probably be talking <laughs> shit just in a completely different realm of just talking Absolutely. shit. You know? Absolutely. So. I feel like there has to be some, some attrition here though. There has to be pleasure with the pain. Like we have to order like a magnum of crap on tap and like get through oh, it. Oh yeah. It, we got to get real you drunk. You know, just get vinegar drunk and then go hard. And, like, <laughs> Like, bring me the bottle of limoncello to <laughs> oh, the table. Oh, God, yes. They made limoncello <laughs> out of Everclear, and it's still so good. It's We would do shots of it, like, when no one was looking. Because they would keep it in the walk-in in a big jug. So yep. you could just, like, just peel you it could back. just go in and get yourself a little, you know, a little nipper if you wanted to. Fortification. Nice. Pretty amazing. Um, you guys, thank you so much for listening to Hotels Part 1. We'll be coming back at you next week with Part 2. Until then, please send those server-submitted stories our way. Head on over to One Star Podcast Network. Listen to all the other shows we have out there. Follow us on Instagram. Uh, send those stories to sideworkpod at gmail.com. Other Andy, than that, bro. Yeah, you know what we say at the end of each episode. Godspeed. And good tips, guys. <laughs> Thank you.